This is the Good Things Guy podcast with myself, Brendan DeCube, South Africa's very own Good Things Guy. I'm on a mission to change what the world pays attention to. I truly believe that there's good news all around us, and I spend my time hunting down and reporting on the best good news stories from South Africa and the world. In the Good Things Guy podcast, you'll meet these everyday heroes and hear their incredible stories. War Dogs and I is a heartwarming documentary about Kurbis Olifir, a former South African cricketer who did everything in his power to protect his four dogs during the war between Russia and the Ukraine, putting his own life in danger for that of his beloved dog children, Dickie, Uli, Jesse, and Kaya. It's a harrowing story, and it's now been turned into this incredible documentary, which has now also been nominated for a SAFTA Award. And today, I have the absolute honor of chatting to Corvus on the Good Things Guy podcast. Corvus, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. For me, it's an absolute honor to be on your show. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm a huge supporter of you. I've been following you for a couple of years, now, I think. <laughs> yes. Well, thank you. That's incredibly kind. I, I have to tell you, the story is really insane. So I, I need to start at the beginning. Um, how did you land up in the middle of the Ukraine-Russia conflict? Right, uh, before, it's a bit of a story how I got to Ukraine. I almost ended up there by default. It was never really planned. Like like most of my life, I seem to be <laughs> sort of getting into places without much planning. Uh, I was in, in uh, Dubai at the time, uh, before, in 2015. Uh, I was in Dubai for four years with my dad, who was still alive. He passed away during my stay in Kiev. And uh, then I had the wonderful dog, Tiki. And I went on holiday to Kiev. Uh, it got incredibly hot in Dubai. It, I think it was about 51 degrees. And I said to my dad, I need to get out of here. I was coaching cricket. I had my own cricket academy in Dubai. So I went for about seven days. I just took a flight to the nearest place where there was snow and it was cold. So I ended up in minus 10 degrees in snow in Kiev. I had a little holiday there for 10 days, fell absolutely in love with Kiev. And I then went back and during that year, I went every little break I had at the Cricket Academy, I would take a flight on Fly Dubai to, to Kiev and spend some time there. So during that year, I went about seven times. I went on holiday to Kiev and then the one day I said to my father, you know, he, he couldn't walk at the time. He was, he was, uh, uh, he was quite old. He was at the time he was about eighty-three. So I said to my dad, "Listen, I'm going to put you in your wheelchair. I'm going to put Tiki in a box, and we're going to go and start a life and explore Kiev. Uh, why not?" So uh, my dad was always up for adventure, even at that age. So I ended up with my dad and and Tiki uh, flying to to Kiev with no real plan. I didn't even know there was cricket in Kiev. So I thought, you know, I've been involved in cricket all my life. Um, uh, before Dubai, before I went to Dubai, I was CEO of uh, uh, Kenya Cricket. And before that, for 14 years, I was um, director of cricket at the University of Cape Town. So I said, I'm going to take a break from cricket. It's snowing here. It's nice and cold. And I'm going to become a wine merchant. Now, I've never tasted alcohol. I don't drink at all. So I thought I'm going to start selling some Dachrindel wines and some other South African wines in Kiev. And uh, that didn't work at all, and I ended up teaching, falling back on teaching. I've, I've I studied at Stellenbosch and UCT. I've got a teaching degree. I taught previously at Bishops and uh, and at Weinberg Boise. So I became an English teacher 
in Kiev. I started teaching Kiev uh, 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 Ukrainian children English as a native speaker at one of the big um, Ukrainian schools. And when the war broke out, I was actually director of a, a, a Ukrainian private school, Uster School, and I was CEO of Ukrainian cricket. And then the war came and changed everything. Tell me about when it happened. I mean, we, we were sitting here in South Africa. We were watching this thing unfold. But you're in the heart of Kiev. When a war starts, what are the first signs? What's happening around you? The, the, the weirdest thing, it felt sort of serene because I was probably the only person and to an extent the South African ambassador, who was my best friend in Kiev, Mr. Andre Grunewald, we were talking about it daily and we had a little WhatsApp group of South Africans in Kiev and we kept discussing the war because, you know, the the, the build-up to the war was that the Russians started uh, bringing more and more soldiers into uh, Belarus, which borders on Ukraine and also on the other Ukrainian borders, uh, Russian-Ukrainian borders near Kharkiv and Kherson. So there were more and more troops. It started with about 20,000 troops. And then over a period of about a month, they built up to more than 100,000 Russian troops with heavy uh, uh, artillery, uh, uh, weapons, you know, they had the tanks there. So we were following all this on Western media. But the interesting thing is the Ukrainians in general, most Ukrainian people outside of the cities don't speak English at all. And even in a big city like Kiev, uh, not too many people uh, speak English. So they were watching Ukrainian uh, media and I was watching CNN, BBC, Euronews. And America kept warning, you know, President Biden kept warning Ukraine that there's going to be invasion. Russia is going to invade Ukraine. And the Ukrainian media kept on playing it. President Zelensky said it will never happen. It's all warmongering. Uh, it's sable rattling, rattling on the side of President Putin. And there will be no invasion. So Ukrainians were absolutely not prepared. The average person, the public, the people teaching with me, the Ukrainian teachers and the parents, they were laughing. When I started stocking up food, I started for about a week before the war actually started. I started going out and buying uh, uh, stuff like nuts and peanut, uh, peanuts and dry fruit that I could keep in the apartment for if there's a war and I can't get out. And I stocked up with water and I actually changed all my uh, uh, Ukrainian drachmas into uh, 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 into dollars, cash. So they were all laughing at me. You're going to go to war in with Russia. There's going to be no war. And then they were totally not prepared. I feel, um, uh, you know, and then that morning, that uh, I think it was the 24th of February when the first explosion started, when the invasion happened, I took my dogs outside for a walk. And uh, the next thing I just heard, there's about nine huge explosions. I mean, nothing prepares you for that. It's not anything like Guy Fox. This was, it sounded like it's, a, a you know, something falling next to you. And there were about nine of those. And I, it was four o'clock in the morning. I used to walk early with my dogs before school. Um, I had to take a little bus to school at seven. So I was walking at four. And I then, I knew immediately, this is it. This is, the war has actually started. This is the Russians. So I rushed up to my apartment, got into the lift with the dogs. Um, and then the reality hit me. I quickly put some mattresses that I had ready next to, uh, I, I blockaded my windows with mattresses for if there's, you know, glass coming in. So, and then I went to lock myself into the bathroom, which was the safest room in my, I had a little studio with a balcony and open windows onto the street. So my, my bathroom was the only 
room with a door that I could lock and I locked myself in. I had a little mattress there. All my food was in the, in the shower was full of food and water. And I then basically staked out for 10 days and they called the curfew immediately. So uh, nobody was allowed outside. And then on the third day of the invasion, they lifted the curfew for about six hours. So Ukrainian people mostly that they were running out of food and water. They could go to the supermarket. I think it was from 10 in the morning till three o'clock in the afternoon. People were queuing lines, rushing to the supermarkets, rushing to get fuel in their cars. And then at, at three o'clock, you had to be back inside. And I basically staked out. I stayed in that bathroom for 10 days with explosions around me. You you speak about it very candidly, and I've actually got a lump in my throat because it sounds terrifying. Uh, Brett, yeah. I mean, you know, you talk about, we, I spoke up to the ambassador and South African friends there, Hein Reynard is one of my big mates there. We were talking about the war and I spoke a bit to some teachers, but it was always sort of, you know, we talk about, it, but it's not something, It's it can't happen. I mean, there hasn't been a war in Europe for ages uh, there's not going to be a war in the middle of Europe it's never going to happen and then the reality when it hits you um, it's just something I can't tell you how, how terrifying it is because you know and you also watch this TV I left the door uh, um, slightly open of the bathroom so I could see my television I had the remote in the bathroom with me and I was watching CNN and they had some uh, you know very graphic uh, uh, a footage of of buildings in Mariupol and in Kharkiv getting absolutely destroyed. I mean, you just see bricks on top of each other where there was a building a day before. So you understood, I understood if a missile hits this apartment or there's a serious artillery uh, fighting outside, um, um, you know, you've, you've got very little chance really of surviving. Um, it, it's something you can't describe to people. And for 10 days, you had this waiting and you hear the explosion sometimes it's very near close to the apartment they blew up a, a television tower literally uh, to, probably a kilometer from my balcony i saw it happen i just heard this huge explosion at about 12 in the afternoon and i went outside and i just saw the smoke going up and they blew up the television tower and then a few big explosions uh within that area because i, I was if if you look at the uh, where I was situated, I was, um, I mean, Kiev is a huge city. It's got, it had before the war, it had a population of 4 million people. And I was, you know, if you on the, say one of the outskirts, like say I use Cape Town, I use Cape Town as, as an example. If if you say on the northern suburb side and the, somebody attacks it from the Atlantic seaboard side, you, you're pretty much okay. But then they attacked from that Belarus side, that border. And I was in Nifki and I was right there, um, Irpin and then Butcher, where, where, you know, everybody I think knows about Butcher that follows the war. That was a horrible what happened there with the mass graves and people got literally mm -hmm. slaughtered there. And then Irpin was uh, 15 kilometers from my apartment and there was a battle for 10 days, sort of the Battle of Irpin, where the, that was where the Ukrainians actually drove the Russians back from Kiev. But nobody expected that. We all thought, you know, it's a matter of time and the Russians are going to break through. And then I was right on that highway where the tanks would have come down. So it was very real and it was, it was, I mean, it was horrible. And Kobus, then, then on top of that, you don't just have yourself. You've got you've got your four fur babies. These these children, they're your children. These four dogs, and and they're stuck in that bathroom with you. They're hearing these bombs go off as well. What what were they like, Brent? I mean, you can imagine. You, you know, we all know dogs during Guy Fox. I mean, dogs are terrified now. This is Guy Fox times 
10, 20, the, 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 the sound of the explosion. So the dogs were absolutely terrified. And I ended up playing, and it became quite a nice story later on. I actually met his brother. My favorite musician has, has been for the last couple of years, long before the war, even in Dubai. I used to listen to the music of Hauser. He's a Croatian uh, musician. He plays a cello, and he's, he's world famous. And I absolutely love his music so when the when, when those explosions started i had my laptop in the bathroom with me and i, I would put the, the the laptop at full blast and i had a little bluetooth um, speaker so i would put it at full blast and pl i played literally non-stop 24 hours a day for 10 days i played house of music and that can't you won't believe how it calmed the dogs down they were lying because I often before the war in Dubai and that I used to play Hauser music at night before me and the dogs would go. They all sleep in the bed with me. So before we went to sleep, I we would listen to Hauser music with the lights off. So they got a little bit back into that routine and the music calmed them down like uh, unbelievably, except if it's a really close explosion, then obviously the music didn't help much. But, but in general, with the music going all the time, they were relatively calm so it helped a lot to calm them down and then the 10 days after the 10 days what what sort of happened after that point Brent, I, 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 you know at first they attacked uh kiev from the eastern side uh right opposite it, it's the, i was on the western outskirts on the in the suburb there and the first few days they attacked kiev from the east so i could see explode uh, um, at night you the sky we just light up. It's like all orange in the distance on the eastern horizon at night. And I was watching it from my balcony. I took a lot of videos of that. And then when they came from Belarus, from that, from the western side, I understood. And when they were fighting in Irpin, I understood it's a matter of time and they're going to break through. And I, I can't sit in the apartment. I mean, I'm a, I'm literally a sitting duck. I'm, I real I'm, I realized if I don't get out, I'm going to die here. Uh, me and the dogs, and I'm not exaggerating that that because the tanks would have come right past Peramochi Road, and my apartment was on this road. It's the only road from Irpin into the city center of of Kiev, which was I was sort of in the middle between the city center and Irpin where they were fighting. So I then understood I have to get out. I I can't sit here and wait. Uh, also, one that was quite uh, scary. Uh, I was in a huge apartment complex with um, eight buildings that had about 1,500 people in the building. And I wasn't allowed in the bomb shelters at all uh, with the four dogs. They told me, I tried in the beginning when the air sirens went off, I tried to go and uh, take the dogs into the bomb shelter. And they said, you can only bring two dogs in. There's too many people. It was packed. So I then I didn't have a choice. I would never leave my dogs or two dogs in the apartment. So I stayed in the apartment. And then at night, the, most nights, the air sirens were going. So people were literally living in the bomb shelters for 10 days. And, and I couldn't go in. So I was the only person in the whole complex sitting on the seventh floor. It's all pitch dark. All lights had to be off. Uh, I'm the only human being there with my four dogs in this whole apartment building. So it was really, really scary. And I, I, it, you know, it was like ghostly. Uh, so I then understood I needed to get out. So I posted on social media to all my Ukrainian. I made quite a lot of friends in my time there, teachers and different school I, I taught at. I said, if anybody can help me to to give me a, a ride in a car, I'll pay. I ended up paying seven hundred dollars to a, a, a guy. He's a, he's a, a football coach young guy he offered he said i'll take you and the dogs in my car to the polish border or to a little town ivana frankivs 
very close to the border in the west. And uh, he then picked me up on the 10th morning outside when the curfew was lifted that morning at 8. He took me and the dogs in a backpack. That's literally all I had on me. Uh, and he took me to Ivana Frankivsk, which was about, it's supposed to be about two hours from the border with all the ref There were over a million people trying to get out of Kiev into Poland that first uh, two weeks. And uh, there were huge queues. We sat in an eight-kilometer queue line of cars literally not moving on that border post and uh, he then and i spent five days in ivana frankis with the dogs in a little uh, ukrainian refugee shelter where we stayed with most of the time the sirens were off as well so and there they allowed us into the shelter so those five days most of the time i was down in a bomb shelter and then i got a opportunity with a la ukrainian lady and her daughter I paid her $300 Euro, uh, and she said, I, me and the dogs can get in a little car across the Polish border. So we spent 15 hours that night waiting to cross the border. Uh, and it was minus four degrees with well, the dogs in the car. It's the making of a movie. And I know it's been put into a documentary, but it really is the making of a movie. Um, we then move on and, and we get into Poland. But but there's a problem there because you're actually South African, right? Yes, Brendan. <laughs> that was I through a friend of mine. He's in Cape Town. Him and his wife, uh, Reino and Alison. Uh, they heard about my. I mean, I was uh, on WhatsApp, in, you know, with my friends, and I also posted a lot of on Instagram. Uh, and then Reino got hold of me, and he said, "Kubis, listen, we hear that you're going into Poland." Ellie, his wife, Alison knows this professor. She's a scientist, Professor Ava. She's got a little cot teach about 100 kilometers outside of Warsaw in a little village called, a little town, small town called Glovno. And she's, Ali already asked her, if you get into Poland, if you and the dogs can stay in this cottage, so you have a place. Otherwise, we would have had to stay in one of the Red Cross tents for refugees. And that's also impossible with the four dogs. And I was running out of money. I, I couldn't go and stay in a hotel or something. So we then, in, while we were in the car crossing the border, I contacted Dr. Eva and she sent me the location for a little cottage. And we were in the cottage and I was already, in the first week, I, I actually found a, a little apartment in Warsaw that I signed a lease on. I was contacting all the schools, the, the Polish Cricket uh, Federation. The guys assisted me to find a job at one of the schools in Warsaw. So I was getting very organized. And then my eighth day there, the police stopped outside the cottage and called me to the gate and they said listen um they've changed the law there's too many refugees at that stage there were way over a million refugees in poland they said they've now made a new law if you're a third country citizen although you've got temporary residence in ukraine if you if your passport is not ukrainian you you get 15 days in poland from the day you arrived and you either get deported if you don't leave before and you will get deported and your dogs will be put into a dog shelter so i would lose my dogs they sent me to africa and that was on the eighth day so i basically had seven days to work a plan to get out of poland and i then googled and i thought uh, um, uh, they part of the schengen countries and i understood i'm going to have the same problem in any schengen country i go to i'm going to have 15 days they're going to kick me out so i googled and i found that croatia was a member of the eu european union but they weren't schengen at the time about two months ago they became part of schengen but i then thought well i'll probably be able to to be reasonably safe and stay for a bit longer in croatia so i then made my way 
Uh, I had to buy a car cash in in Poland in the middle of the night. Dr. Eva's brother sold me an old Audi 96 station wagon, old green one. But uh, um, I then bought that car because I checked with Lot Airlines, the Polish airlines. I could only take two dogs on the plane if I had to fly to Zagreb, which is Croatia. And I couldn't take public transport. Like my, my problem from the beginning, if I can't go with my four dogs on a train or a bus, it's just impossible. So I bought the car cash with my last money. I paid 1,000 euros cash uh, at 12 o'clock in the night. And at six that morning, I hit the road for the dogs about a 15-hour drive to the border. We went through, I think, four countries, Hungary, Slovakia, um, and I think, yeah, and another one. I can't, Hungary, Slovakia, anyway, I think Czech Republic. But we then made our way in the car through to to to, um, to Zagreb, to Croatia, Croatia. To Croatia. Is that where you are now? Are you are you still in Croatia? Well, yeah, I'm, I'm, I settled. I had a huge problem at the border there, the Hungarian after a 15-hour drive, the Hungarian border police wouldn't let me out of out of Hungary. They said I must go back to Poland, because um, they because again the South African passport. They said you can't leave Hungary. So luckily, then I found I had to stay. I slept in my car for two nights in a in a field with the dogs in the back. Uh, and I contacted uh, Mr. Andre Grunewald, my South African ambassador in Kiev. He was at the time with his family in, in Hungary. They they were waiting there for things to get better. They were all evacuated from Kiev. So he was in Hungary and I was at the Hungarian border. He was in Budapest. So I phoned him and I said, Andre, you have to help me. I, I'm not allowed back in Poland. I, they won't let me out of Hungary. So it took him, it was on a weekend that I got stuck. So he said, Kubis, just stay in your car, stay out of sight with the police. Uh, so I basically stayed in a forest with my dogs for two days and then uh, the last night I booked into a little bed and breakfast it was just you know it was like minus four at night with the dogs in the car and then he arranged with the border police and through diplomatic uh, channels that he is obviously very well connected as ambassador and he also faxed me a letter through to the um to that guest house from the South African embassy in Kiev to ask them to let me through into Croatia. And he made arrangements in Croatia with a Croatian ambassador in Ukraine that they will let me into Croatia. So at one o'clock in the afternoon, I, on the third day, they told me be at the border. I was on the line with Andre and the border police expected my car, that the registration number. And even there, I had to wait 45 minutes. I was covered in sweat and it was about minus two and I was sweating <laughs> like an Afrikaans because I am sweat. I was panicking. I've kept asking Andre, is there another problem? He said, no, relax, relax, just formalities and paperwork. And then they let me into Croatia. And then I had problems again in Croatia because I, I wasn't allowed to work at all. I had to apply for a visa to stay there. So I applied for a refugee visa first. That was turned down after five months. Then I applied for a humanitarian visa. That was turned down after four months. Then I applied the last possible visa I could apply for to buy time. I applied for a, a digital nomad visa. And while I was waiting, as long as they were processing these visas, I could stay. But I wasn't allowed to work. So I had no income whatsoever. I, And that's where... That's a story on its own, how friends and people I've never met were sending me money and helping me, supporting me through this time with my dogs, which I will never forget. Um, but I then eventually, uh, I found out that this, on Facebook, actually, I saw that the French International School, after nine months in Croatia, were looking for an English native-speaking teacher. 
So I applied and on, I applied on a Saturday and the Monday they called me to come for an interview. And on the Tuesday they asked me, you know, they're going to sort out my work visa. That took about three weeks. And then I started working at the French International School. I've been working there for about five months. I'm now on an extended summer holiday in Europe. You know, you get almost three months holiday, July, August. And I'm speaking to you from Poland, I, from Warsaw. I came back to visit Professor Ava uh, staying in the same cottage in Lovna <laughs> with the dogs. And it's like a walk down memory lane. Last time I was stressing so much. Now I'm on holiday. The dogs are running around. But I'm I'm coming I came to visit the professor and on the weekend on Sunday we'll me and the dogs will drive back to it's about a, a twelve hour drive back to um back to Zagreb where I've got a little apartment. And one September in September I start working again at the school. Kurbis, I need to ask. Yeah. How are Tiki, Oli, Jesse, and Kaya? Yeah, I, I, I think my, all of us, not just the dogs, myself as well. This whole, what happened this year has taught me so much about life. I mean, first of all, just the incredibly kindness of people. And especially, I think I'm so fortunate to be a South African. The South Africans came, I mean, it was, you know, I haven't been back to South Africa for nine years. And all my people I've never met saw my story on on instagram uh people sent me money on paypal and people that i've never met south african people from stellenbosch from poch from every little village in south africa people were just sending me money they've never met me and they heard about my story on social media they were sending me money uh it was just unbelievable the kindness of south african and other people but mostly south africans and my friends my cape town friends my friends from Joburg. people were just i mean some people were sent me 300 euros that's a lot of money in south africa i've never met these people so people just kept sending me uh, money to keep me alive for that period and me and the dogs i mean i'll never forget that and if it wasn't for that i've, I've you know I've, i would literally be a bad here i would have been sleeping in the street uh, so the kindness of people and me and the dogs, we appreciate the, the, the little things in life. You know, I left all my clothes and everything behind in, in Kiev. Uh, I literally arrived in Zagreb, in, in Zagreb with one pair of shoes, one pair of long trousers, a shorts and a, and a top. That, that was it. I had no T-shirts. It was winter. Um, and, you know, I understand after what happened that those things I've changed my whole outlook on life you don't I've only got one pair of feet you know I really only need one pair of shoes uh, I've got two legs I, I need one trouser so I've 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 really understood that those things are so it's it's nice to have it but it's not important my priorities in life is completely different just to be with my dogs and wake up there's no bombs there's no sirens we're in a safe place uh every morning i i go on my knees and i say thank you you know appreciate what i've got uh, and not wishing for i wish i had more you know material things or whatever uh, it's not important to me at all now gratitude uh, is is where happiness lives. That's that's where where we can find a source of happiness is being grateful for what we have. Right. And I am so incredibly grateful for this conversation that we've had today. Um, to all of the good things, guy listeners, War Dogs and I is on Showmax right now. Let me tell you, it has a nine point six out of ten rating on IMDb. This is something that you need to watch. It's going to give you all the feels. Corbus is an incredible human being who, who really risked his life for four animals 
four children that he absolutely loves. And I'm sure they give him just as much uh, love back. Um, Quibus, I am in awe of your story. And and I'm so thankful for, for the time that we've spent together today. Brent, I appreciate it so much, Brent. And I'm, I'm going, I, I can do it later when we're off the air, but I'm, we've also got two books out. Uh, the English book is Not Without My Dogs and Afrikaans uh, Met My Wonder that I wrote this, this with Hilda van Dijk. We wrote the two books. They were in the top three bestsellers for a while now in uh, exclusive books. And I promise um, I'll do it after we finish this conversation. I'm going to get your physical address and I'm going to get a book delivered to you from National No, Holocaust. no, no. Qu- Quibus, That's a deal. We don't, <laughs> yes. we, don't, we don't do that for friends. We don't do that for friends. <laughs> we support friends. I will go to exclusive and I will buy a book myself. But, but... <laughs> When I when I'm in Europe next, if I'm in yeah. Croatia, sort of part of town, uh, I'm going to bring that book with so you can sign it for uh, me. We've got a deal, and we'll have an argument after this about me sending you the book or you have to, <laughs> to go take the book. Of but course, so buy a donkey, lovely. buy a donkey. Oh, what a lovely, what a lovely story, my. My heart, my heart is incredibly warm. Thank you very much. That's it. Wishing you only good things. And for more good things, visit www.goodthingsguy.com. Okay? Love you. Bye.